welcome to another cold and rainy day on a new week. Uh, it's Christmas week. Um, at least a week from today, it'll be Christmas. And I'm sure everyone is looking forward to it. I'm starting to get a little bit sad because the kids are coming in saying, Goodbye, Papa, we're going to Alabama, or we're going here, we're going there, and I'm going to miss them. They say, It's okay, because we watch you on TV every time we go, but I don't get to see them. That's what I tell them. But that's what happens this time of year. Hey, thanks for tuning in. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. And you're listening to The Word to Stand On for Life, a radio program dedicated to taking your phone calls so that we can answer your Bible questions. 340-9585. That's 340-9585. You can also call us toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. That's 630-5757. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com. And you can also send them in via our free Calvary Chapel mobile app. If you're driving in your car, especially on the slick streets, the safest way to call is to use the free KSLR mobile app. Just hit the Call Now button on your hands-free feature, and you will be connected directly to our studio producer. Um, Whatever the questions you have, whatever is going on, we'll do the best that we can to answer those questions. Uh, I'm going to, before we get really into the program, start asking questions. If you will indulge me, I'm going to take just a couple of minutes to share my heart a little bit on the, 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 the unbelievably wonderful weekend that we had here at Calvary Chapel. Let me first say that tonight, because it's Monday, is our men's and women's and youth Bible studies. These are the final Bible studies of the year. We'll take a break until uh, January when they will resume. Uh, Ladies, Paula will be teaching tonight at 7 o'clock. Pastor Ken will be teaching the men. And then we have our high school and our junior high school classes as well. So um, whole families can come. It's really, really a neat thing. Um, So that's what's happening here tonight. Now, here's what I want to talk about the weekend. I got to meet a whole bunch of you uh, this weekend. First at our children's play on uh, Friday night, and then yesterday uh, at our annual Christmas dinner. Uh, Thank you so much for accepting the invitation. We served, I was told, uh, well over 650 people uh, who for dinner, came for dinner. Uh, It was a really, really wonderful time, and and, uh, when you come up and say, Pastor Ron, thanks for the radio program. I wanted to meet you in person. Or uh, one man and his family, well, we accepted your invitation. And it was, it's just really a delightful thing to experience. So thank you. Thank you so very, very much. The dinner, as always, was good. We were really, really crowded. Um, but that's a good thing at the end of a busy Sunday. Friday night, um, there were also uh, several of you who came up to me to introduce yourselves from the radio audience. Uh, and and next year, you can tell people how blessed you were by the play that was put on. Um, I shared a little bit about this in, our, in my message yesterday here at church, but uh, it's just an amazing thing to me. We, we start out with these little toddlers, uh, pre-Ks, uh, twos and threes, and, and up to kindergarten. And, uh, you know, they've got their part, and then we've got the older kids, and then we got the really older kids, and we've got singers and dancers and drama. The play was 100% original. The music was 100% original. Lyrics uh, were written by the same man, a teacher here at the Academy, who... Um, 
also wrote the Christmas play. He wrote the lyrics to the songs. Um, one of our young men, Matthew Makasadia, did the uh, original score. So it was 100% original, and it was a blast. We had so much fun, and uh, I trust that those of you who were there enjoyed it as well. This is just, I was telling somebody this morning, this is one of those weekends that a pastor has that he's remembering for years and years, thanking the Lord for counting him faithful, counting him uh, as being a part of this this great work that the Lord is doing. So, again, thank you for coming. It was a blessing to meet you, and I appreciate it, Paula and I, more than you know. Okay, let's get to some questions. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Uh, here is an anonymous question that was just called in. How does one deal with a recent seven-year breakup ex-girlfriend didn't explain why um, the caller here said that he still loves her. Wow, those are really hard things, Anonymous, and I'm so sorry for your pain. And I think the only way you deal with it, I'm assuming you're a Christian because you're listening to the show, uh, the only way that you deal with this is, is honestly you just let the Lord know. He knows anyway how heartbroken um, you are. Um, Jesus is the only one who understands the kind of grief uh, that you're going through. Um, it's hard. The enemy will use this as an opportunity to attack. So what you've got to do, Anonymous, is you've got to stay really, really close to Jesus. Pray for her every day. That will keep a, a root of bitterness away. But but pray for her every day, especially because of the way it was done. Um, you know, it's a social media world that we live in where we text breakups or call breakups we don't give any explanations why uh, and that that hurts the lord's heart too so your only source of comfort now is jesus just throw yourselves into his work whatever it is that he's called you to do do it with all of your strength and all of your energy right now you're in a place where your uh, attention is undivided and this is a moment where you can afford to give 100 percent of everything you are to your Lord. And I promise you, you won't be sorry. It doesn't mean that your heart won't still hurt. It doesn't mean that you won't have tears. What it does mean is that the joy that Jesus will replace your pain with will be enough. And it'll get better. So rather than dwelling on your pain, rather than dwelling on her, focus on Jesus. The Apostle Paul writes to the church at Colossae to set your mind and your hearts. The mind is the place of decision. The heart is the place of affection. Set your mind and your heart on things above where Jesus is seated at the right hand of God. You see, there's no other answer for the kind of pain that you're going through. Again, I'm sorry for your pain. Remember to pray continually for and pray that God's will is going to be done. Pray that God's will is going to be done. Not your will, not her will, but that God's will is going to be done. And maybe the Lord will see fit to restoring the relationship. It is especially difficult that these things happen around Christmas. But just pray. Ask God to move on her heart. Pray for her if she's... I'm assuming you're a Christian, you wouldn't be dating an unbeliever. So pray that she would listen to the Holy Spirit and then pray, Jesus, this will hurt, but your will, not my will, be done. 
And again, I'm sorry for the pain. Those are hard things. Thank you for calling into the studio. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Uh, here's a question from our email inbox. I'm going to keep this anonymous. Um, I don't think I have to, but I'm going to do it because when the question first came or the circumstance first came, it, it was uh, uh, dealt with anonymously, so I'm going to do it that way. And it's a little bit lengthy, but but I think it's important. Uh, hello, Pastor On. Good day to you, and may our Heavenly Father continue to bless you, Paula, and your fruitful ministry. I sincerely want to thank you and Paula and the others who prayed for the restoration of my marriage. Our Lord has answered our prayers and my wife has agreed to work out our issues. Now, before I even go into the rest of it, this is what I was saying to the other caller as well. Um, God can do things that we cannot. Uh, Jesus said, with men, this is impossible. With God, all things are possible. And this is what we have to do in painful situations, in all relationships. We've got to surrender our will to the will of the one who loves us. So I'm grateful that she's agreed to work out your issues. Now, there's a little bit more here, and we'll continue. I'm filled with absolute joy of knowing for certain that our Heavenly Father does answer prayers and that he's always faithful and true to his word. With that said, I thought this whole time of reconciling and being unsure of what the outcome was going to be was the hard part. But now that we're reconciled, it seems the harder or more difficult uh, it be, to be more to be the leader, the head of my household. Let me explain. My wife did agree to work out our marriage, but she wants nothing to do with my Jesus, and lets me know that she will never give up her beliefs. I had set a ground or house rule going forward, and that's making time for reading the Bible and praying together every night. Unfortunately, she only chooses or wants to review things on their Jehovah's Witness website, which makes me feel very unsettled and uncomfortable. I want us to watch some of your prior Bible studies. I feel they may be beneficial, but she's not willing. I guess I feel that I'm not in or I'm losing control and not going in the direction I'd hoped in sharing my Jesus with her. Do you have any advice, tips or instruction on how can I, I can approach ways uh, of how to successfully do this without causing conflict? And how about my eight-year-old? Is there anything or any material you'd recommend that would appeal to her level or measure respectfully? And then I'll leave the name off. There's so much here that needs to be uh, understood. So please prayerfully um, hear what I'm, I'm thinking on this. Um, I knew, and, and again, I, not because I know you, I don't, I don't know her at all, but the idea is reconciling is um, a work of God. He's doing that work. But the hard part is always in dealing with the issues that caused the separation in the first place. And sometimes we think the hard part is the painful part when the marriage is falling apart, when in reality the hard work only begins, or only begins to get done when in fact uh, we're back together working out these issues. Now there's a couple things to understand. First is that there is an enemy who doesn't want your wife to come to the truth, the knowledge of the truth. And he's going to be pursuing her. He's going to be pushing all those buttons. And this is a time for you lovingly but firmly to stand in that position. God has brought her back to you. He will bring her to you by his power. But he can only do that if, in fact, you're standing with him and for him. And I trust you're going to do that. But to hope that there's not going to be in conflict is being a little bit naive. Of course there's going to be conflict. You've got heaven and hell 
that are fighting one another here. And when people come out of a cult background, I've told you this before, Jehovah's Witnesses are a cult. When people come out of a cult background, it's so difficult to break that bondage. It's demonic, and to expect that there be no conflict, even to hope that there's going to be no conflict, is just nothing more than wishful thinking. So here's what you do. You pray. You don't get angry. You don't get frustrated. You show her who your Jesus is and what he's done in your life. You've invited her to come and read the Bible with you. So you be there every day. You let her know, here's the time I'm going to be there. And, and the invitation is always open. I want you to be there so that we can talk about the Word of God together. And then you be faithful. And you could be there for a month. You could be there for six months every day. But God is going to use your faithfulness to draw her to you and to Him, which is even more important. But don't change your faithfulness because she's not. Don't get tired of waiting. Paul says, don't grow weary in well-doing. Be faithful. Be different. Be light in the middle of that darkness. And let the Holy Spirit do the work of winning her heart. And he'll use what he's done in your life. If you get frustrated, if you get angry, then that just gives the enemy an opportunity to say, you see this Jesus they, that he believes in isn't real. So it's really important. Remember, she's been brainwashed. That's what cults do. And only the Holy Spirit can sort of give her a new mind. And you're the tool, the instrument God's going to use. Now, I, I don't say this to discourage you at all, but Paula prayed for me for 13 years. These things don't happen overnight. So be patient, be faithful, and just love her with the love that God poured out into your heart. And only love can melt this kind of a demonic hold. So please, please, please hang in there. Now, there's a more difficult issue. As the head of your house... You cannot let your eight-year-old daughter go to a Jehovah's Witness service. You cannot let her, you cannot allow her to be influenced. This is a non-negotiable thing. and At some point you're going to sit down with your wife and you're going to talk about this. There's, I'm, going to, I'm not going to push you, I'm not going to... Um, I'm going to continue to love you because I do. But I cannot allow our daughter to be influenced by this cult. I'm going to stand before Jesus, who's given me stewardship over this little girl. And I simply will not permit her to be influenced the way you've been influenced. Now, I love you, and I'm going to stay with you, and I'm going to, I'm going to show you how much Jesus loves you. I'm going to do that. Hopefully, you'll, you'll, you'll not feel pushed at all, but this is an area that's non-negotiable. You ask for material. She doesn't need material. She needs the Bible. Read your daughter the Bible. 
read it to her. Talk to her about it. Tell her about Jesus. And in so doing, you're going to run the risk of running your wife off again. Then you may have to fight a legal battle for custody for your daughter. But this is where God needs to be trusted. There's no way that you can stand before Jesus and explain to him why you, without putting up a fight, allowed your daughter to be brainwashed the way your wife was. Now, if divorce ultimately results as a consequence of the stand, um, then at least you will have partial custody. And I promise you, especially with children, God usually wins these battles. But there is a place where you've got to take a stand. Your wife is an adult. She makes her own choice. But your daughter is your responsibility. So I'm glad that God is softening your wife's heart. I'm glad that you're together. But this is one area that, as I said, is non-negotiable. Very, very important. Isaiah 55.11 says, So is my word, and this is in regard to reading to your wife, So is my word that goes from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. That's Isaiah 55:11. Hold on to that with all of your strength. I'll be praying even more now. Thank you. But again, conflict, ooh, there's always going to be conflict. Let's go to my friend Tanya in San Leandro, California. Tanya, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hi, Pastor Ron. How are you? I'm doing really, really Can good. Can you hear thanks. me? Okay, great. Listen, I have a question for you that came up this Sunday. One of my good friends, um, I'm kind of a new believer in Christ from church, um, we had a Christmas program for the children, and she said that she had invited her mother, and her mother is admittingly lesbian. And um, so she's, you know, trying to show her our Jesus, and um, she has been noticing that the mother, uh, her mom, has been taking a very harsh stance against Jesus with their son, and their son's three and four years old, and she thinks, you know, it's grandma, I want grandma to spend time with her grandson, but she's uh, more concerned that the grandma is poisoning the little boy, Mm -hmm. and so, you know, she's, I'm, I'm really looking for some type of encouragement for her, I mean, I told her about Matthew 18, 6, about how Jesus loves the little children, and I told her about, you know, I'm trying to encourage her to and her husband to make really good decisions when it comes to parenting. I said, you know, you're responsible for this little boy. And it, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to come up with, uh, you know, if I could get some encouragement from you to really share more with her that, you know, her mom doesn't have to live this way. She can um, always, you know, turn to Jesus, repent. And it's just not her mom is very um, upset about the whole Christianity and all of that. So any type of encouragement that you could share with me, some more scriptures, um, I would really appreciate it, and I'll take your answer off the air. Thank you. Thank you, Tanya. I don't know how encouraging I'm going to be, but um, this is one of those things that, that the parents who are responsible, and again, the parents being believers, 
Um, the parents are responsible for what they expose, the influences they expose their children to. And if their her mother was a child abuser, if if uh, her mother was um, uh, a drug user, uh, she wouldn't allow uh, her child to be around her mother. It's that simple for the, for the safety of the child. Well, the stakes are even higher here. Uh, why would I want my child to be around a grandmother who is uh, actively involved in a homosexual lifestyle, um, uh, actively engaged in, in um, um, profaning our Jesus? Um, I, I would simply say to my mother, if I was your friend, Mom, I love you and I'm praying for you continually, but I will not allow you to influence my daughter against Christ nor will I allow you to uh, extol the virtues of a homosexual lifestyle. Um, we're going to be praying for you. We love you. Our door is always open if you want to come on our terms. But um, I simply can't for the health and for the safety, both spiritually and physically of my child, I simply can't allow mixed messages to come. And those are one of those stands. You know, Jesus said, uh, Tanya, that he's come to divide families, to set a, a father against a son and a, a husband against a wife, um, uh, sisters against brothers. In this case, daughters against their mothers. And that's not his purpose. That wasn't his intent. That's just the result when we take a stand for Jesus. And I think the uh, same kind of response that I gave to the, to the last question, I think sometimes we expect that, okay, well, I'm going to do what God wants me to do. He's going to fix this. No, sometimes we have to take those stands in great pain results. But I simply would not allow my child to be around somebody who's going to profane my Jesus. I wouldn't do it. I, I don't understand uh, even why this is a difficult question. Again, I understand the mother-daughter relationship. I understand that this is a, a grandmother to my child. I understand all of those things. But our first responsibility is to the child. And what we've got to do is represent Jesus to him or to her. And in cases like this, to expect that there's not going to be conflict is, is being naive. And Jesus said that we're to be wise as serpents. Now, harmless as doves, but wise as serpents. And I've seen, and we've had it many times over the years, where grandchildren, every time they see their unsaved grandparent, are telling them about Jesus. And we've seen some of those grandparents get saved as a result. But imagine how confusing it is for a young child to spend time with a grandmother who profanes Jesus and not only with her lips, but with her lifestyle. How do we explain that? And I think there's a time when you sit down with your child and say, you know, your grandma's not saved. We love her and we're going to pray for her every day. But you can't expose kids to the mixed messages. They're going to get enough of that from the world that we live in, but they can't get it at home. There's got to be a foundation at home that is unshakable, immovable. And we're sending mixed messages, Tanya, if we 
try to compromise for the sake of, well, it's family, it's a grandchild. Uh, if grandma wants to spend time with her grandchild, then she's got to follow some rules. Jesus will never be spoken of harshly or unkindly. And you will not talk about your lifestyle. And if my granddaughter or your granddaughter, your grandson wants to talk to you about Jesus, you're going to sit there and smile and listen. If you can't do that, well, then it's better that we don't have the time. Tanya, I'll be praying for them as well. Please keep me posted. Well, within the first half hour of the first show of the week, 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. That's 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. We will be back on the other side of the break. See you in two minutes. to the word to stand on for life we're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll free 877-630-KSLR now here's pastor ron arbaugh welcome back to the second half of the program 340-9585 tanya before we go to another question matthew chapter 10 um read from verse 35 through verse 39. Now, here's what I want you to, to, to really pray, that verse 39 will be true in your friend's family. I'm going to read it. It says, Jesus is speaking, for I've come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. Men's enemies will be the members of his own household. Anyone who loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves his son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And anyone who does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Here's the key. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. That's the hardest verse in Scripture for us to really believe. We think we can make peace and we'll find that that happy place. Jesus said, no, we got to lose our life for him, and then we'll find it. So Matthew 10, 35 through 39, um, let your friend understand. Now, when I said I don't know how encouraging um, I'm going to be with that, it's hard. It's really, really hard. But Jesus wins. We stand. He honors our stance. Let's go to Pam calling on line one. Pam, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Yes, I just wanted to touch on that same perspective. I am a parent and grandparent of an estranged son. We only had one child. And he and his wife, for unknown reasons, have chosen to um, not have contact with us. And I just wanted to let you know that my husband and I are devout Christians, and we love Jesus with all of our hearts. And... We have been through so much turmoil because we always thought that, you know, we would be able to be grandparents, and that's just not the case. And Mm -hmm. I just wanted you and your listeners to pray for those parents out there who have this estrangement from their kids, and we don't know why. And it's it's almost as worse than if they had died because we've been through the whole grieving process and 
we don't we don't you know we don't have the answers only god has the answers and we pray for him every day that you know god will turn his heart of stone to flesh and um you know like i said we're at peace with it um we're glad that he is still alive and on this earth and we just wish we could be grandparents and um wish that he would you know read and understand the fifth commandment (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's it's so painful but Pam, there's we, so we, many we, of us out there, and I didn't yeah, know that is. there was that many parents that this is happening to. And, yeah. you know, I know we spoiled our child, but we also set boundaries. So I don't know yeah. what happened. Well, I can I can explain to you what happened. It won't make you feel a whole lot better. But you, you're absolutely right in that this is an epidemic problem. Kids uh, go away from home. They they meet somebody. They get married. We think, oh, life happily ever after. Give me grandchildren. Uh, but, but then your light blinds them. When you say your husband uh, and you both love the Lord with all of your heart, um, when, when you are around, um, the, the light is blinding to them. People, John says, love the darkness because their deeds are evil. And they don't want to be reminded that their deeds are evil. They don't want to be convicted. They don't want their consciences to bother them. So it's easier just to draw a line and and separate ourselves from people. We have this human ability, a wicked human ability, but we have this human ability to sort of, of just draw lines in our life and say we're not going back across that line. Uh, And um, that leaves the parent uh, to suffer because uh, the child that they raised um, and and their spouse and in many cases their children um, no longer have anything to do with them. I, I hope I can encourage you just a little bit, Pam. Uh, when I got saved, uh, my kids, I had two boys, they were 18 and 16 when I got saved. Um, they really, really, really were angry at me. You know, crazy Paula was the only one that was saved, and we all sort of laughed at her and mocked her because she was saved and she was so kind and so full of joy. Um, when I got saved, it was like the the boys looked at me like, Dad, you turned on me. You picked her side instead of our side. And um, what we did was simply sit them down and tell them that, that our life now is Jesus. Watch our lives. We're going to be as fruitful as we can for Jesus. They saw the joy. They saw the changes in me. They saw the result of, of a marriage that was, was governed by Jesus Christ. And over a period of time, now for our children, it took a few years, but over a period of time, they began to soften. As we prayed for them, God began to soften their hearts. And you know what? When they finally realized that this was a real change of life and that we were committed, everything that we had to serve the Lord. And we're the ones, Paul and I are the ones who moved away. God really began working on their hearts. I had the privilege of marrying both of my sons. They were both um, going to live with their girlfriends and talk to me about it and and decided as a result of that conversation that they know it's wrong, they're not going to do it, nor would I be involved in a wedding if they lived together. Um, at first they were upset, but God is always at work in the background. So you guys keep standing for Jesus. You find your life um, in Him. 
that's where the, the, the richness is. And uh, keep praying for your children. Many, many, many return. And these things, these situations are reconciled. Uh, sadly, many never do. Um, we've got people in our church whose children are living uh, homosexual lifestyles, and they've completely cut their parents off because their parents won't approve of what they're doing. Um, but we want to be in a position as a parent where we leave them alone with Jesus, recognizing He loves them even more than we do. And when you said you've come to a place where you have peace with it, it doesn't take the pain away. So this is an opportunity. And Pam, God can use you and your husband to minister to a lot of hurting people in the body. So offer yourselves to the Lord in that manner. And at some point you'll be able to comfort others with the comfort that you yourself has received from God. By the way, my boys and I are best pals now. If they walked in the studio while I'm on the air, both of them would kiss me right on the lips. I mean, they're they're 44 and 42. Actually, almost 45 and 40, 43. Um, but we have a great relationship uh, because there's, there's uh, 1,500 miles distance between us. We don't get to see them or our grandchildren as often as we want to. Um, but when we see them, it's like we've never been away. Uh, God has a way of restoring things. Uh, we just have to take that stand for the Lord. Pam, you've encouraged a lot of people, so hang in there. Thank you very, very much. Three four zero ninety five eighty five for your live calls and questions. Here is a question from our mobile app from Richard. Uh, who is the man Jacob wrestled with? Now, Paula knows me so well. She knows right now there's a big smile on my face because, Richard, this is my life verse. It, it always has been the man Jacob wrestled with, Genesis chapter 32, was Jesus. The man he wrestled with was Jesus all night long. The man, Jesus, tried to hold on to Jacob. The whole night, Jacob tried to get away. And finally, I will not contend with you forever. Jesus let him go. And Jacob tried to hold on. But just before Jesus let go, he touched his hip. And you remember, uh, Richard, he crippled him. And when Jacob saw the power that he was trying to run away from, Jacob was holding on to Jesus for dear life. And here's what he said, I will not let go until you bless me. That was Jacob's come to Jesus moment. And then later in the chapter, it explains that God has been in this place. That's how we know it was a pre-incarnate appearance of Christ, a Christophany or a theophany of the Old Testament. But that was the moment Jacob was able to realize the fullness of the promises God had for him. Jesus wrestled with Jacob. Then Jacob held on. I will not let go until you bless me. Richard, thanks for asking the question. By the way, that uh, that passage of Scripture, uh, I actually pray that every single day. When I put my hand out in the morning, I, I say, Jesus, today of my own free will, I choose to serve you, not by might nor by power, but by your Spirit in your name and for your glory. And then I put my hand out and I say, I take your hand by faith and I will not let go until you bless me. 
And that's been part of my prayer routine every single day. It's my reminder of just how much I need him. Also, I send, put my left hand out for Paula figuratively. And I say, Paula and I, we're one flesh. We take your hand, Jesus, and we will not let go until you bless us. So it's a great passage of scripture. It is my life passage. Here is a question from Stephen. He says, Pastor Ron, when Paul got saved, what does it mean that Jesus showed him all that he would suffer? It's a startling question, Stephen, because I can't imagine what my life would have been like, what choices I would have made differently had Jesus showed me the things that I was going to suffer. And I haven't suffered nearly what the Apostle Paul did. What it means is this that on the road to Damascus, when Paul was converted, at some point there was a conversation where um, Jesus, in a supernatural way, showed Paul all the suffering that lay ahead in his life. Now remember, Paul had been beaten. He'd been stoned to death at one point. Shipwrecked five times. I mean, the things that... Read 2 Corinthians 11 and 12. The things that he'd been through, he knew all of that ahead of time. Hadn't experienced it yet, but he knew it and agreed still to serve the Lord. So that's uh, just an unbelievable thing. I, I'm not spiritual enough. If, as a new believer, God would have shown me the things I was going to suffer, I probably would have said no. Now, maybe if he appeared to me the way he appeared to the Apostle Paul, I wouldn't have, but... The idea is that Paul knew that his was a life of suffering, a life of great value, a life that was to be used in unbelievable, indescribable ways. But there was never a time in Paul's ministry where there wasn't suffering. So that's what it meant. And yet Paul said yes anyway. By the way, Stephen, I'm going to be teaching this Friday night on Paul's conversion in Acts chapter 9. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Here is a question anonymously. Um, He says, I'm considering marrying a woman who's been divorced. Is God okay with that or should I forget it? Well, anonymous, two things. One, whoever you're marrying has to be a Christian. Again, assuming because you're listening to this program, you're a Christian. But you cannot marry an unbeliever. Now, divorce is not the unforgivable sin. I know some people try to treat it that way. So it's not something that I can answer without knowing some details. But generally speaking, if you're a Christian and she's a Christian and she's repentant for any responsibility she had in the divorce then grace would cover that. Just make sure that you're walking with Jesus together, that you're equally yoked in terms of your commitment to him. Now, if her divorce, she didn't have biblical grounds, if she just sort of walked away, well, that'd be, have to be something that you'd need to really, really pray, pray through. And I, I think the two of you would need to get pastoral counseling you know this program we can answer some questions but we can't do counseling and we certainly don't have time to get all the details behind the questions 
but it is not the unforgivable sin. It's not the unforgivable sin. Three four zero ninety five eighty five. This is a matter for prayer. Here's an anonymous question from our mobile app. Hello, Pastor. Is it true that David is mentioned in the Quran? If so, do you know what it mentions about him, and does it contradict or in contrast or in contrast to what our Bible says about him? Um, I'm not an expert on the Quran by any stretch of the imagination. I can answer your question because I googled the answer, um, and it is what I expected. David is mentioned 16 times in the Quran, and David is uh, considered a prophet. Uh, David is considered highly in Islam, um, and while it is true he's a prophet of God, we know that Islam, Muslims, have the wrong God. Their God is not really God. So, um, like Jesus, they consider him a prophet. They honor Jesus, but they really dishonor him by demoting him because we know that he is God in human flesh. So yes, they do mention David. They do speak well of him. Um, but because they don't have a biblical understanding of who David is and who Jesus is, well, obviously what they're teaching about him, while positive in general, it's simply not something that's true. So uh, it is true, Anonymous, that uh, he's mentioned 16 times in the Quran. Three four zero ninety five eighty five. Here is a question from Charles. He says, "If Jesus had sinned just once, could he still have died for our sins?" Charles, if Jesus could have sinned, and then even didn't, he wouldn't have been able to die for our sins. The theological issue is the peccability or the impeccability, depending on which direction you're coming from, of Jesus. Could Jesus have sinned? Or what would have happened if he sinned, in your case, just once? Then he would have disqualified himself from being the Savior of the world, you see. And this is what people forget. The standard of heaven is perfection. Matthew 5:48. Be ye perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. If Jesus had sinned just once, he would have been the best man by far who ever lived. But since only perfection can wash away the sins of the world, he would have disqualified himself. Now let me deal with the issue of peccability. If Jesus could have sinned, it would have meant he had a sin nature. That would have disqualified him from being who he claimed to be. So uh, Charles Jesus could not have sinned. Um, He was tempted by sin, but not tempted to sin. If Jesus had sinned just once, while it would have been the greatest life in the history of the world, it would have proven that he was not God in human flesh. Thank you very much for the question, Charles. Let's go to line one and talk with Harold in San Antonio. Harold, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hi, Pastor Ron. It's Harold. I haven't called in a while. Uh, I had told the young man that answered the phone, you know, uh, what are you going to talk about with the pastor? And I said, Grandma. It's like, Grandma, you know. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I am so grateful to my grandmother. I'm 63 as of yesterday. And, you know, my grandmother was born in 1901. And so by the time I was 10, she was 64, say. And when you talked about Grandma it was or heading to her house or anything, 
there's going to be some church involved. And that just was hands down. <laughs> and so, I, you know, even at this age, I look back and I think, man, where would I be without my grandmother's churching? You know, we had to yeah. go on Sunday. And you heard the word I said, had. We had to yeah. go on. No kid wants to go, really. We, if we were lucky to be there during the week, Oh, here we go on Wednesday night, you know, and uh, if Billy Graham was in town, we're at Grandma's house, we're going to Billy Graham, you know. <laughs> so anyway, yeah, uh, it is, you know, I hear all the stuff about grandmas, and it's like, I guess I grew up in a different time. I guess we grew up in a different yeah. time. Um, you did. I'm just so grateful for it. And so, but it is the grandmother, I believe, that really, it she controls the family not controls but she puts an example the better example yep. i think because parents they're young you know my dad when, was 18 when i was born my mother was 17 so who's putting the example my grandmother yeah and that that's all i was going to say i could talk about the bible some more but oh, um, thank you Harold. i'll let you run all right bye-bye. thank you Harold. Happy, ha- happy birthday and all right thank uh, you very next much time you, uh, next time you call don't brag about being so young 63. <laughs> you know, Harold, it's true that we, a lot of us had grandmas who uh, were faithful. My only exposure to church growing up uh, was when my grandma dragged me to the first Christian church in Pomona, California. Uh, I hated it. Um, just There wasn't anything about it, but my grandma would say, uh, Ronnie, we've got to go. We're going to church. And uh, my grandma prayed for me her whole life. Uh, when my grandma died, she was born in 1903. When my grandma died, that she lived, um, we had boxes and boxes and boxes of binders filled with prayers. Now, there was a box with my name on it, a box with my sister's name on it, and a box with my brother's name on it. And they were filled with years and years and years of her prayers for us. And I have no doubt that she's going to be wearing a much bigger crown than I'm ever going to be wearing when I get to heaven. I think as whatever the Lord uses me to do here while in my time on earth, my grandma is getting rewards for it all the time. So um, bless her heart. And there's lots and lots of grandmas who, who uh, were faithful to pray. Thank you, Harold. God bless. Reggie wants to know, who are the two witnesses in Revelation chapter 11? And can you tell me what a partial rapture is? I can do that, Reggie. The two witnesses are Moses and Elijah. Now, we know for sure that one of them is Elijah. Um, Elijah must come before that great and dreadful day of the Lord. So we know for sure that one of them is Elijah. Now, Moses isn't named, nor is there any specific prophecy. But um, we can take some clues from our Bible. Moses represents the law. Elijah was sort of the prince of prophets, representing the prophets. And so Jesus said, the law and the prophets testify of me. The um, fire coming from their mouth, the, the, the miracles that they did, are mindful of the things that Moses and Elijah did. So I have no doubt at all in my mind, Reggie, uh, at all about who they are. Uh, there are some who will say, well, I believe that one of them is, is Enoch because Enoch is the only other person who didn't die. 
um, that that's a sort of a flawed argument. Um, it's true that Enoch didn't die, but it, but it wouldn't be so that he could go here. The other thing we know that it was Moses and Elijah, the Law and the Prophets, who appeared with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration, sort of a precursor of that which would come at the end in the Great Tribulation. So. Uh, the two witnesses, uh, I'm 100% sure, are Moses and Elijah. Now, with regard to what a partial rapture is, it is a fallacious teaching that says only Christians who are found faithful at the time of the rapture are going to be taken to heaven to be with Jesus. The rest of us are going to be uh, stuck here during the Great Tribulation. So only the really good Christians, but that runs contrary to every promise the Bible makes. When we Except Jesus as our Lord and Savior. We are perfect positionally. We are perfect. Now, I don't want to be in a backslidden condition when the rapture happens and I go to meet Jesus. That would break my heart because it would break his heart. But if all my sins are forgiven, that means I'm perfect. If that, if I'm perfect, it means God isn't angry at me. If he's not angry with me, then he can't pour out his wrath, his anger on me. And the Great Tribulation, make no mistake, is God's wrath being poured out on a Christ-rejecting world. So if you're a Christian, regardless of the condition of your walk, when Jesus comes for his bride, he's going to come for you. We're all going to be there at the great wedding banquet with Jesus. Now, that's not to say that we should count on that and justify living an ungodly life. But the whole idea of a partial rapture uh, is certainly not biblical. It's usually found being taught in more legalistic churches or or Pentecostal churches. Um, And and usually it's used as a scare tactic. So, uh, Reggie, when he comes for the church, you're going to be there. And don't listen to anybody who's going to tell you anything different. That's what a partial rapture is. Oops. Well, we're at the end of the program. I thought I had time for one more question, but I don't. Hey, thanks for tuning in today. Appreciate the phone calls. May the Lord bless you and keep you. Remember tonight, because it's Monday, uh, our men's, women's, and youth Bible studies tonight. Paul is teaching the ladies. Ladies, you can watch that at calvaryessay.com. I know you got a lot to do, but Paul is pretty fun. She'll be good. God bless you. See you tomorrow at 4 o'clock. God bless. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapels, the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio.